Welcome to the Nick and Matt Show. Bringing the player interviews you want to hear and the hot topics you want to discuss. Streaming live on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel, here's Nick and Matt. Well, well, Nick, we finally made it on the show, episode 33, and we're streaming live on a new channel tonight, Foundation Podcast here on YouTube. We've got people jumping in. I know you can't see the feed, but uh, I, why, why are we late tonight, Nick? <laughs> so technical difficulties on my part. Um, the Skype that I was trying to use on, oh, I totally still have the sticker on. Hold on one second. Um, the Skype that I was trying to use on the laptop that I was using wouldn't let me log into the previous account to it. So now I was trying to struggle getting into my account and setting up a microphone and everything like that. But unfortunately, I'm out on the road right now. And so I had a little bit of technical difficulties. <laughs> That's funny. So I kind of figured it might happen that way when we were like, yeah, let's launch on the new channel with you on the road. I was like, oh, it's probably going to be a yeah. little funky. But honestly, we're still going to bring you great interviews. Um, Nick, honestly, I was impressed by your performance out at Las Vegas. Um, you averaged 1,008, and you outperformed names like Nate Perkins, um, Austin mm -hmm. Hannum, Greg Barsby, and then even Emerson Keith, to name a few. Uh, you finished in 49th yep. place in a field of 135. How did that feel? Uh, it felt pretty good. The first round and the fourth round were definitely the more lackluster of the two. The second and third round, especially the third round, were definitely um where i kind of felt like i was more in my element there were definitely mistakes that i made through both of those rounds but they were a lot cleaner than the first two um the f first day was super windy and we were playing kind of a shorter course so i felt like i needed to be in attack mode unfortunately on some of the holes that didn't really work out and same thing with the fourth day it was a lot windier and i felt like i wanted to be more aggressive on some shots where i should have just kind of taken my medicine taken some pars here and there but um it was super fun like you said i did average uh, I wish it was a little bit higher, um, especially because on the third day, technically, I shot my highest rated round at, uh, I think it was 1038. Yeah, I just put out the average there, averaging 1,008. That's pretty good. Yeah. And we're going to talk about that, like what it took to maybe get last cash at an event. You're, Yeah, you're kind of mm -hmm. close to that. But just like what it took, we've mm -hmm. ta we'll talk about all that stuff. We're going to break it down to you. We've got Eagle McMahon lined up. He's not in our green room yet, um, but we're going to mm -hmm. have him on very soon here in the next two minutes, probably. Ezra Aderhold. We've got him lined up. He'll be on here in about yeah. 20 minutes or so. Um, we're going to break down the LVC. What what just happened? LVC performance breakdown. We're going to talk about Paul McBeth's contract, the all-star event by the Disc Golf Pro Tour, as well as the Disc Golf Network. Now, obviously, everybody has an opinion on that, um, but we're just here to talk about the facts. So um, with that being said, um, as Nick's camera falls down... <laughs> Yeah, sorry. There's some technical difficulties. Nick is going to hopefully be streaming with a webcam and a uh, laptop here in our next shows coming up. And Nick, yes. real quick, tell us just the the 15 second version. What's the studio going to look for, like for you as soon as you're back off tour? Uh, so I'll be at the Foundation Studio down in Virginia. I'll be able to use an actual camera that will set everything up. Um, I'll have a laptop where I can see what's going on, check out my audio levels and everything like that. Uh, so it'll be a lot more professional than what I've been able to do the last few weeks being at, you know, a different house, being in a guest room or, you know, like right now I'm out on the road. Yeah, for sure. So, um, the topics we've got lined up, um, can I ask who you're traveling with on tour right now? 
Is that for me? Yeah, yeah, yeah that's so, for, that's for that's for you, Nick. <laughs> yeah, so, don't don't get starstruck right by now, our green room right now. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, so right now I'm traveling with Paul and Hannah. Um, I was able to spend the week with them here in Vegas, and we were able to get a lot of practice rounds in. Um, we hung out with Brody, hung out with a bunch of different people. But at the moment, we just drove actually this morning from Las Vegas to Arizona. We got here about an hour or two ago, and uh, so I've been traveling with them, and I will be for the next two weeks. Awesome. All right, so. Guys, this is probably why you showed up. Obviously, uh, Nick and I have, have built a show, but mm-hmm. it's not about us. <laughs> it's about disc golf, what's happening in the disc golf world. And um, we're excited to bring to you interviews that you want to hear. And so with that being said, let's go ahead and bring him on. We've not done any audio <laughs> tests here. We're hoping everything works flawlessly. We've got Eagle McMahon lined up. Here he is on screen. Let's go ahead and talk to him now. Eagle, first of all, congratulations. Um, where are you located right now? A little bit of traveling, I'm sure. Yes, some traveling for sure. I am actually in Huntsville, Alabama now. Uh, this morning I got out on a flight from Vegas. I left my dad in, uh, in Nevada. Uh, he's, in, he's currently en route to, to Utah. He's going to go check out Zion National Park. But... Yeah, um, I'm gonna be spending a week in Alabama before heading to Waco. Uh, so get some sweet, sweet home Alabama time in, and I'm looking forward to it. Awesome. There you go. Awesome. Well, Nick, congratu- did- congratulations. Yeah, go ahead. I was just gonna say, did you see Eagle out there? Were you able to watch his final round? I did. I was actually, I watched a little bit of his final round, mostly on the Disc Golf Network, just since um, we're not really supposed to be going back out in the course due to everything going on right now. But uh, Eagle and I were able to play a practice round, actually. I think the first day, we played the, I'm sorry, it was the second day we played the Innova course and it was super fun. And what was funny is we had him on one hole, throw the tilt upside down. <laughs> so it was very cool to see him do that, walking up the fairway in 18 and throwing the tilt like that. Yeah, so. for sure. Um, we're going to get to that actually, but let me go ahead and start out here. Um, Eagle, we want to know, the people want to know, the chat room wants to know. This is a live show, so let's ask. So this is the first Elite Series event of the year for you. Obviously, you wanted to win but what was your winning formula? Meaning, how did you accomplish this? Because obviously you had a game plan. You averaged 1,077 over the course of four rounds. Um, what was your winning formula? And how is your win here going to affect your next tournament appearance? Yeah, so the formula was essentially, I'm tracing back to 2018, which you know, I I feel like my past few seasons have been pretty good, but 2018 was, um, you know, I was having the most fun and I was uh, the happiest with how I played overall. And going into that season, I really, uh, I really wanted to start playing, quote, Sexton golf. Uh, because leading up to that, I got so tired of taking all these unnecessary bogey strokes. And, um, you know, I really just cracked down and I just tried to look, at every hole and try to break each hole down to a science to where, you know, I'm throwing, I'm throwing the most conservatively aggressive shot there is like, obviously if I want to have a chance to win a tournament, I'm going to have to be somewhat aggressive to compete with, uh, you know, the, the top guys. But at the same time, um, you know, being on lead card and seeing the way Ricky, Paul, and even Calvin plays sometimes is, you know, can be a little reckless and you know they're, they're they throw away strokes up at the top and i just figured 
if I can go out and and play sound throughout the entire round and keep everything under control, you know, that's going to be one that's going to result in, you know, maybe not the hottest score, but it's going to put me, you know, up at the top with a chance. And that's I proved it perfectly in uh, in round three like uh, in round three where, you know, I really didn't feel like I was doing anything crazy to my own standards. Um, but I was just throwing the shot in front of me. And if there was like a, a shot that I you know shouldn't have gone for, or, uh, you know, some danger, I feel like I, uh, I managed it really well. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, when that happens, usually I can kind of relax into a groove. And then, you know, if, if I start making shots, if I'm starting to feel confident putting, then I can roll with that momentum and ultimately, you know, go go into warp sp- warp speed, which I which I felt like I kind of did uh, the back nine of round three, and uh, you know to start the uh, the uh, the round in uh, in round four. Yeah, so you finished in the round three. You finished ten down through the last nine holes, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One crazy stat that I was I heard I. Sh- the la- like for a certain stretch, I was 17 under on 17 holes. Mm. If oh, we okay. traced back, so I needed I needed to birdie hole six on the end of a course to get go 18 like 18 birdies in a row. Yeah, or 18 <laughs> understrokes and, and, and if, 18 if pe- holes. So. If people don't know which one hole six is on the end of a course, it's the one where we play twice. Hole six is actually technically the shortest course that we played throughout the whole tournament. So. What you're saying is that you missed the birdie on the easiest hole, Eagle. <laughs> I'm just, I'm messing with you. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that, but no, it was, was it was a massive, was, it was a massive headwind. So yeah, I was, uh, I was the only. Or Ricky made the island as well, but there was no birdies on that hole. Yeah, funny enough, no, I do, I do remember that. So let me ask you this: Was there something that clicked for you halfway through round three? Because this is what you're talking about as far as how many birdies in a row. It seemed to me as a viewer that something might have clicked. You obviously went um, perfect, beyond perfect, 10 under on the back nine of round three, and then you proceeded to only par as your worst five other holes from that point out. So from round three, half back nine, that's a lot of birdies. Like something seemed to have clicked. I, I actually asked Simon this. Yes, I'm name dropping. I was talking with Simon during the round, and I said, Simon, did something click for him because what happened there? Like, so just fill us in. Did you, did you feel anything different? Um, I definitely felt something. Uh, I can kind of looking back the front nine of round three was really slow for me. And it was honestly a a big struggle. Uh, I think on the front nine, I was only two under, and I, I was kind of falling behind. I think at one point uh, Calvin was beating me by five strokes. I was just thinking, gosh, all you, all you need to do is just start, start getting birdies. Like in Vegas, it's you know, pars are almost like bogeys because you know if you're not birding a hole, someone else is. Uh, so mm-hmm. I would, I started today at 23 under par, um, and my main goal was to get to 30 under. So, uh, you know, I was two under, I was just thinking, uh, you know, going through the, the course in my head and like thinking, oh, there's a, there's the par five, there's uh, this easy par three. And I was just trying to run through scenarios in my head on how I could get 
seven under out of the round so I could get to 30 because, um, you know, I, I felt like uh, 40 under would be a pretty good score for the for the weekend. So if I got to 30, that meant all I had to do was shoot 10 under the next day to get to 40. But, you know, I I hit an outside circle putt on I don't know what hole it was. Um, it might have been hole. It, it was nine or 10, uh, but it was a putt that I didn't think I was going to make. And then, uh, you know, that kind of got the juices flowing. Um, there was an easy par four that I got, I got an easy three on. And then I think this is really where the momentum all started was the, the par five to either 11 or 12. I threw like a, I, I did, I, I used my Bushnell rangefinder to look back on how far I threw, uh, through a roller. It ended up being around 750 feet. And I had like a really easy four end approach to get an Eagle and then all of a sudden, I just I built on that, and it, you know my, the rest of the card just kind of, you know I don't know if they were in their own heads or maybe I got in their head, but I just felt like uh, you know I separate I started to separate myself from the group, and I just felt like I was um, I was the the pacemaker. Awesome, mm-hmm. awesome. So it seems to me it was pretty apparent that the rest of the card in the final round wasn't keeping up. Okay, so it seemed about maybe hole four or five. Is that what it seemed like to you? And then I guess I would say, at what point did you kind of feel like or realize maybe you were running away with it? Because that's the appearance that was there. It was like, again, talking with Simon, because we were doing a, a live companion feed thing. We were both like, it's over. <laughs> it's over. Like, he's seven or eight strokes ahead, six holes left. Like, so But at what point for you did that happen? So, yeah, I I I kind of got excited on hole four slightly. Um, it's when Calvin Calvin got a bogey, I got a birdie, and then all of a sudden, within four holes, I was up five, and I think I was up five on Paul as well. And just right away, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this isn't." I'm playing with uh, the the three highest rated players in the world, and wasn't here but i thought there was going to be fireworks i thought it was going to come down to the end and all of a sudden it's like five stroke this is kind of yours to lose now and i just kind of uh you know i knew there was a lot of uh, easy easy par fours out there so i was just thinking you know if you can just put your drive in the fairway you know a lot of the times you're almost just throwing a jump putt approach so if you can just lock those down you know the chances are you're going to win um but you know it, it wasn't that easy you know Believe it or not, like a five-stroke lead, that is very substantial. But at the same time, you are kind of running through all these scenarios. You're a little bit nervous in your head thinking, you know, you know, if if I double bogey and, you know, uh, another competitor birdies, that's, that's three strokes. It's down to two. So, you know, you're going through all these scenarios in your head. So I just kind of told myself, you know, um, you know, losing one stroke is okay, whether that means uh, I bogeyed a par or... Birdie, I par. Um, that's okay. It just you really got to avoid, you know, uh, making an, an a mistake and uh, with more than one one more than one stroke. So I just mm-hmm. really, uh, I really just tried to put my shots in, in the in the right places, and it, it ended up working. And one other thing was hole hole six when uh, Calvin threw out of bounds and Paul I think took a five. At that point, I was like, okay, you know, this is a uh, the holes are starting to run out now and I'm starting to like my chances. So I think, and you can, you know, 
do you feel like you had an advantage going into that last round, burning the first five holes to start? You had built up a little cushion now. The wind was massive on the final day. And so now players that are falling behind have to start playing a lot more aggressive to make sure they're putting themselves in birdie opportunities. Do you felt like do you feel like because you had a five or six stroke lead at some point, you were able to play a little bit safer in the sense of, you know, my drive's not exactly where I need it to be. So you don't have to be as aggressive on this upshot, but you're still going to put yourself in a chance to potentially birdie. But like you said, pars are still good. Yeah, exactly. That's, um, that's what happened. And it was also kind of interesting. I felt like early on, I kind of, I kind of broke my competition to a certain extent. Like every time they pushed or tried to do something, you know, even if they matched me on the whole, they weren't making up any ground. And I feel like that kind of, you know, frustrated them and they were trying to push. And then, you know, some of them, you know, I, I know Paul kind of did it. Calvin did it. Uh, they kind of started to do a little bit of a tailspin. So, you know, mm -hmm. I think just putting the pressure on them early on and not messing up, that was, uh, that was key for me to, you know, I don't, I don't know what was going through their heads, but I felt like I got in their heads. <laughs> That's perfect. So at what point, at what point did um, the throwing the tilt and then throwing it upside down, at what point did that enter your mind? Um, tell us about that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, coming down the stretch and I was up seven strokes. I, I could have, I could have almost thrown any shot I wanted to. I wanted to, I wanted to do something flashy, but I, I still wanted to potentially get a birdie just for my own, uh, my own greedy reasons. Uh, but you know, messing around with the tilt, looking at the way the shot lined up, like you know, this is the perfect time to to showcase something that you know, a lot of people haven't seen before. So I was like, you know, what what better time than this? You're not you're not gonna want to throw that shot, you know, any other time than you know, being up, knowing you have it in the bag, or some double mm -hmm. doubles, fun shot or whatever. But you know, it it just felt like the the perfect perfect thing to do at the time and i just said no let's 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 have at it let's have some fun so yeah there you go so you're saying you're basing it off of you knew your lead and it literally went through your head that i can throw any shot i want to like that's what went through your head and then you started thinking through like okay what shot am i gonna throw and i'm gonna pull out a tilt so like simon and i doing the companion feed where he's like i hope to throw he has the tilt and then you pulled it out showed it to the camera and and again you know simon he's like He's like, he threw the tilt. Like, he's so happy. Like, you'll have to go watch that companion feed. It's pretty funny. But um, anyways, so that's really, really cool. You did that. Um, some people are calling it a flex. And, like, as in you flex to show, you know, and, and disrespecting people on your card. Do you feel that at all? I do not feel that at all. It was completely for fun. And I, it's funny. I've been reading a lot of comments regarding that. And everyone's like, well, why would you do a shot like that? Do you, the reason why I did it is because it's the, when are, when, when are you going to get another opportunity to throw a disc upside down on the, the lead card at a pro tour? <laughs> like it's your, it would be a really bad idea unless, you know, for some reason that shot has some benefit. Maybe it like slides on the slides on its, um, on the bottom and it creates some cool shot. And I just felt like it was a, you know, it's not as crazy as it seems like anyone on that card could throw the tilt upside down and it would fly like that. It's not unique to me. 
Um, you know, all you need is a little bit of imagination and you can do crazy things with that disc. So, you know, I wasn't disrespecting anybody on the card. I just wanted to do something fun, uh, you know, for the fans, for my own sake. Um, you know, I'm when it, come, when it comes down to it, I'm a disc golf nerd. I want to throw funny and cool shots that, uh, you know, impress myself. So that, for sure, that's what it came down to. For sure. And, and I'm just asking the questions, man. I think I personally, <laughs> I personally thought it was epic and I was just as excited to watch it as well. Um, so you've heard about this news, um, Paul, Paul Macbeth news. And, uh, before we let you go, uh, thanks for sharing everything about the tournament experience. Again, congratulations on that. Um, how does news like Paul Macbeth um, signing with Discraft, $10 million, 10 years, does that, ins- and by the way, it's been reported now by TMZ, The Guardian, Barstool Sports. It's it's all over, not just disc golf media. Does that, mm-hmm. does that inspire a player like you? Um, and if so, like, what does that inspiration look like to you? No, it's it's incredible. Oh, sorry the the cat the cat food thing went off. Um, no, it's it's honestly incredible. You know, seeing um, where disc golf has come from, and you know, the stereotype of the disc golfer is you know living in a van down by the river and you know eating eating ramen every meal. That's kind of what uh, people think of when it, when they think of a professional disc golfer, but. You know, the fact that we're, we're breaking the norm, you know, we're getting on ESPN and now uh, a deal like this is public. You know, it's I'm really happy for Paul because, uh, you know, he's earned it, you know, the, the his accolades in his career, the amount of uh, dedication he's put in. Uh, but also for disc golf, you know, when uh, you know, we're, we're all going to benefit from from this just because, uh, you know, l- like you said, it's getting picked up um, all over social media, TMZ, Barstool. You know, it's uh, a rising tide lifts all boats. So this is mm-hmm. uh, this is incredible for disc golf. It's incredible for Paul. And it's just a uh, it's an amazing time to be a part of this uh, this uh, amazing game. Yeah, that's that. I think you said it well. Um, it's it's big for the sport. Um, so. Before we let you go, you obviously won, but there was somebody else that was making significant strides, pushing pretty hard. Obviously, Calvin was one of those. But I think there's a storyline here, and I'm interested in your opinion on it. Ezra Aderhold, we're going to be having him on in a minute. But before you go, um, his performance was pretty awesome this weekend. Uh, What do you think that means, if anything, for the sport and maybe this year's tour even? Does that tell you anything about, like, what the tour year is going to be like with newer athletes to the sport performing at such a high level yeah i mean if you if you look back to to previous years usually you have uh you know one to two you know top names coming on the scene so i think uh i think this year it's going to be ezra zero if you look back to uh you know like 20 2018 2019 it was calvin it was kevin jones dickerson so you know we're we're uh, we're in we're getting more names and, you know, you know, top 10 is going to be pretty elusive for most people because it's going to be such tight competition, especially on three round events when there's even less time to, to separate, uh, yeah. uh, separate each other. So, you know, it's going to be re- really intriguing to see. Um, so, you know, you know, I think, I think Ezra did, did incredible. Uh, I played with him the third round and, you know, there, there was a, I don't know what his nerves. I, 
I mean, it was his first time being on a, a lead card, Jomez covered round. So I imagine there was some pressure associated uh, mm -hmm. with that. But, uh, you know, he didn't have the, the best round. But the, the thing was, he, he bounced back in the fourth round and got a, a second place finish, which is, uh, which is huge, huge for his career, you know, signing with, uh, with a new sponsor, new disc. So, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to, to see what's to come. And, you know, the good thing, the amazing thing about Ezra is that, you know, look at the guy, he's, he's jacked. And, uh, that's going to, that's going to make people really, uh, intrigued to, you know, hit the gym and, uh, you know, better the game. I know I work with this golf strong, uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of people are getting interested in that aspect of the sport. Uh, so he's a, he's a really great, um, person to help grow the sport of disc golf and, uh, you know, be a role model. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely think there's going to be more and more players now coming up who inspire to be uh, more athletic in the sport because we can start seeing that the athletic people in our sport who are taking care of their bodies, eating healthy and everything like that are finally starting to rise in, like you said, that elusive top 10. Yeah, so, so yeah. Nick, I know you're out there in Arizona. Um, you mm -hmm. <laughs> Because of technical difficulties, you are not seeing the show notes, which is a little weird for us. So do you have anything you want to close out with here before we let Eagle go? Cause we're getting ready to bring Ezra in. Well, I guess one kind of like maybe 30 second answer um, coming off of the all-star weekend really quick. You didn't win the all-star weekend, the exhibition match kind of everything that a lot of people in the world were really looking forward to because it was the first thing of disc golf that we've had in so long. So did that break or give you any confidence going into Vegas? Like, how did you feel? What were your thoughts about the all-star event and the sense of how competitive were you trying to be? Or are you, were you really, really just looking forward to the pro tour start of the actual season? Yeah. So, you know, I, I really didn't play that much in the off season. Uh, I would say I played less than 20 rounds from the, the, the you know, the, the final events, which was the pro tour finale um, to the start of the year, just mostly because I was focused on, uh, I was focused on other things. I wanted to give my body a rest and, you know, my first, my first time throwing like for real was starting Wednesday before the all-star event. So I was pretty rusty going into the event and, you know, the first day was doubles. Um, you know, there was definitely some competition there, uh, but you know, I had a partner, so it didn't, it didn't really feel like I was playing an event. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, the final day we're kind of thrown into this, this one round high stakes tournament. And, mm -hmm. It, it it was a weird feeling because all of a sudden, like my body remembered, oh dang, you're playing a, a disc golf tournament. Uh, get in the tournament mindset. Try to lock yourself in to win because you know a title. You know a title is a title. It would be really cool mm -hmm. to say that you're the 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 DGPT All Star champion. So mm -hmm. I was definitely pushing, and for some reason, I felt like a weird thing happened on every hole that I threw. Um, and I was on pace, like, I was looking back, you know, obviously everyone can say how they could, but, you know, of course, I'm going to say that too. And I saw a lot of opportunities that I missed. Uh, and it kind of, the same feeling that I had at the, the DGPT finale, I was not satisfied. I was really not happy with how I played. And I just was like, okay, you know, you have, you have two options. You can, you can cry about it or you can go into the next event and, you know, try to, to, to fix those mistakes and, uh, you know, 
get on track for the rest of the year. And uh, I think mm-hmm. that's what I did. Well, crying works sometimes, Eagle. You got to do a little cry <laughs> and then maybe a little re-strategizing and replanning. But it's, it's for how you know crying's fine, but how long you cry for? That's that's the that's the key. Guys, quote Bingo. quote exactly. Yeah, quote Keep Eagle there. Exactly, quote that Eagle right there, man. That's a good one. It's not you know it's not about crying. It's how long you cry. That's good. So. All right, Eagle, you have any shout outs you want to do before you go? We totally appreciate you taking time to come on the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to shout out you guys because, <laughs> uh, you know, congratulations on a, a successful show. I've been, you know, I watch, I, wa- I, wa- I watch almost every week to a certain extent. My dad uh, chimes in. So, you know, mm-hmm. I, I've, I, it was Tuesday, right? And now it's Monday. Thursdays. Yeah. Thursdays. So it was, it's all messed up. It, the, okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know the days. I, the funny thing as a professional disc golfer, you for, literally forget the days of the week. It's yeah. all one weekend. You know, the, the weekends are like, uh, are like week weekdays because that's when you work. It's, it's all, it's all messed up. I'm in a time <laughs> warp. Okay. But, you know, shout out you. to you guys. I totally appreciate it. Eagle. Um, until next, next time, Eagle. until next time, when you're a champion at the, the next event and the next event and the next event, you'll be harder and harder to get on the show. So can we get a commitment from you now? Like, yes, you'll come on if you keep winning. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he won't answer. You got it, baby. <laughs> All right. Sounds dude, good quoted. Totally appreciate it. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye. Have a good one. Later. Take it easy, buddy. All right, Nick. So what was it like on the ground there? Um, at, las vegas challenge um t- tell me Man, what it was, it was like like the feeling there obviously you weren't walking it the weather was a little funky wet wind one day not mm-hmm. the next day but like in general what was the feeling of that event uh it was actually it was awesome the only thing that i would complain about is uh which a lot of pros have been complaining about is trying to practice and learn three courses within you know pretty much three days of practice you had half a day monday tuesday and wednesday to practice for a four-day event uh, you played the end of a course twice. It's kind of a lot, you know, to really understand the courses and really understand where all the OBs and the hazards and everything like that are in that short of time frame. But other than that, I, I super enjoyed playing the courses. The style of golf is not what I'm used to. And so being able to actually go out and throw, you know, layup shots for birdies. I was able to play Nate Sexton golf and I actually enjoyed it to a point. Um, it did make me realize, though, that I need to learn how to throw a little bit further. <laughs> yeah, so we actually have yeah. that as one of our topics to talk about a little bit of what, what happened at LVC, mm-hmm. right? So we will talk mm-hmm. about that as far as, like, practice rounds. That's an interesting topic to go with. Um, yeah. But without further ado, we're just about to welcome in. He just jumped into our green room so nicely to do that. Um, his last name, I'll get it right. Everyone's been complaining about people getting it wrong. And if I get it wrong... I'll apologize, but I'm pretty sure I have it right here. Uh, let's welcome into the room here. Um, his name is Ezra. Oop, not Eagle McMahon. See, I got to switch that up real quick here. We got to change it on screen. But I'll take that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Change did win the event. Um, the, well, get, yeah. the funny thing is here, guys, I'm trying to do all this on the fly, welcoming new guests and all that, but there let's we welcome. Here we go. Ezra Aderhold officially um, on camera. Uh, so tell us, are you still there um, near the event in Las Vegas, or have you already hit the road and you're showing up somewhere else? Yeah, I actually left pretty close to after the round got done. I headed down to Phoenix, so I'm actually at Vista right now, getting ready for Memorial. Very nice. Already going into the preparation for the next tournament. So you had your 
your best finish ever at a disc golf pro tour event. And you've obviously, you've won smaller tournaments. You've won eight tiers. You've averaged 10, or excuse me, you've shot 1090, 1080 rated rounds. But I think it's safe to say that you were able to put up the first 1100 rated round of 2021. Um, yeah. What What's the feeling of that being able to play to, I'm sure you would say that was a good round for you. That was a great round, obviously. Do you feel like you played up to your potential or is there still some out there? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely, most things went right. You know, I feel like a perfect round on that course is probably 22 down. If you really get aggressive and go for all of the eagle opportunities. The way I played, I think I probably could have shot 18 maybe if, if I would have done everything correctly because I wasn't as aggressive as I, as I probably could have been. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, I'm super happy, obviously, with that round. So 1100, anytime you can shoot close to that or, or at that is, is, is amazing. Um, overall, I'm pretty happy with the, with the finish. Obviously, second place is is way better than anything else that I've that I've done. You know, all last season, I think tied tenth was my best. So mm -hmm. um, overall, I'm happy with that. Obviously, kind of the way that I got second, I'm a little bit disappointed with. So it's it's kind of bittersweet. You know, second place is great, but I kind of had a chance at winning, and so I'm still a little bit disappointed about that. But I'm just excited for you know every opportunity that comes with this season. You know, there's a lot of tournaments left, and I'm ready to you know hopefully take one down. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like you said, there's a definitely a lot of tournaments left. I mean, that really was the first tournament of the year, and yeah. you're already out practicing for the second one. So, what's kind of the you drove right after the round? What's your mindset going into the memorial now? It's not a disc golf pro tour event this year, but it's still mm -hmm. a large A tier. You still have two of the highest rated players in the world going to the event. Do you have a goal in mind, or do you have like what are your expectations for this week? Yeah, I mean, I definitely want to win. You know, I think at this point, any tournament that I go to, that's going to probably just be my goal. Um, mm -hmm. I know that I have the skill at this point to to be able to win if I do play well. Um, it is a little bit different different feel just because there's not like, a, you know, a pro tour title attached to it. So mm -hmm. it, just being an ATL kind of takes away a little bit from it. But obviously, I'm still going to try to, you know, give it my all and play my best and um, hopefully take the win. So you averaged 1,064, okay, uh, over the course of the four rounds. Um, there was a lot of, I'm going to put it in quotes, but Ezra hype during the off season. It yeah. sounds to me like you were not surprised just based off what you're saying. You were not surprised by your performance. And you're already saying your goal is to come out and win these events. Um, but your PDGA rating is a thousand and sixteen. your player rating. And I know we don't need to make a big deal out of player ratings. Cause I think once you've established yourself, in the professional scene, that doesn't matter as much as your performance, but it is a, it is a statistic that kind of tells us what to expect. Can I ask you, is your player rating just a lagging behind because you obviously just played 60 points higher than your rating. Is that what we should expect? Is that more close to what your performance level is? I hope so. I, I think so. Um, obviously if I can, if I can just keep, you know, trying and playing well, I think my rating will just, you know, continue to go up. Um, I definitely felt like the first round and the last round where I shot like 1060 and 1070, that felt a lot closer to what I feel like average should be versus that third round where I shot like 1005. So I feel like, I feel like, you know, closer to those higher ratings is, is, is what I should be shooting. Um, so yeah, I mean, obviously we'll see if, if, if I'm able to keep that up. Um, but I think, I think I should be able to, I know my skill set is there. I just need to be able to you know, stay in bounds and make putts. And um, I think if I can do that, then then my rating should be able to catch up with, you know, with Eagles and, and Chris and Paul and, and Ricky, those 1050 guys. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people kind of in the off season, you really made yourself known last year. You were on the Jomez coverage for the DGPT finals. Um, you bomb drives, you make great putts, you have a great step putt. 
a lot of people found your YouTube channel from that. And way long ago, you did kind of like an in the car video. And one of the things you talked about is that was your life. You were living in a Prius at the time, and now you're in an RV. You were eating beans, you know, and that's kind of another thing. Everyone always says, Ezra, you know, he just eats a lot of beans. Can you kind of give us a little take on what's it like going into the RV now? And what is your food regimen? Yeah, it's obviously a, a pretty big upgrade. You know, obviously all last season I was just in that Prius and that was, that was where I spent a lot of time. You know, I'd slept, I slept in that thing. I cooked in that thing. So um, that was just, that was, yeah, that was a big part of, of my touring season. It, it helped make that tour season possible. Um, so to be able to have uh, like an actual bed and kitchen and fridge, um, you know, to actually like use this season in the RV so far has been amazing. Um, obviously it's kind of allowed me to improve my diet a little bit more too. I've been able to have salads and smoothies pretty regularly and I can cook, you know, any meal I want to. Um, so it's definitely, it's definitely opened up a lot of possibilities that I feel like will help elevate my game to the next level. And I think maybe it already kind of has too. So. Mm-hmm. And you're definitely, you're one of the players, you're one of the most athletic, you're, I would say at least top three, most athletic players in the sport, maybe even the most athletic when it just comes to body stature and you know the way that you throw the power that you have with it were you into bodybuilding before disc golf were you just a natural athlete at different sports kind of like where does that come from yeah i mean fitness has been kind of important to me for a while i I think i started swimming competitively when i was like nine and did that until i was like 15 or 16 um so i got kind of in shape from that and then when i stopped swimming and and transitioned kind of into ball golf um, I just liked being in shape still. So I, that's when I kind of started like going to, you know, to the gym and, and walking out and using free weights and things like that. Um, and so I just, I liked, I liked being in shape. You know, I, uh, I think like the saying, like, look good, feel good, play good, um, is pretty, is pretty true. And so if I feel like if I can, if I can keep my body in shape, you know, then, uh, I think that'll translate to, to battle play too. So healthy body, healthy mind. What is it about fitness people? And I'm calling you fitness people. And I don't mean that disrespectfully. Uh, and these like awesome, like one liners, like feel good play good whatever that is and like we had seth muncie on here i don't know i don't know that's a thing i guess yeah i don't know yeah Yeah. seth muncie our show with seth was like out of control yeah (laughs) so um can i get you to do something for me a review of each post round feeling it doesn't have to be in a long elaborate play by play but like round one you were two strokes off the lead and and you were you were bumped off of the lead card for the next round just because of your pdga number so what was that feeling after round one, can you bring yourself back there? Yeah. Um, the funny thing is like, I didn't actually have a whole lot of confidence going into round one. I didn't, I don't, I don't usually practice that well. Like in practice rounds, I usually play a lot better in tournaments than I do in practice rounds. And it was kind of no different for this one. I, I didn't really practice all that well. So I didn't have a whole lot of confidence going into this tournament. Um, but then like, as the first round kind of started progressing, I started playing well, then I realized that I was actually playing well. And so then um, when I finished that round, I was actually a little bit surprised that I, that I, that I'd put up a solid round and, um, I went OB on 18, so like I really easily could have could have been you know tied for the lead after that false round. So then I had some confidence going into the uh, the second round, and then after all, after I shot 1100, you know I was obviously super stoked, um, and to be in the lead that was that was an amazing feeling. Um, yeah, it was just super exciting. And then the third round was really disappointing. You know I was pretty hard on myself after that round, and and really just really disappointed in myself. And uh, um, yeah, I don't know. Okay. When went into the the, the final round and and uh, just tried to t- tried to play my best, and then. After the end, after the end of that round, it was just kind of that bittersweet feeling of, you know, obviously I played another solid round and I'd finished second, which was solid, but still not quite enough to win. Um, so kind of a little bit mixed emotions. Yeah. After the final round. 
I, I quickly want to go back to the third round and because a lot of people are going to want to know what's going on in your mindset where you are a newer player coming into the tour and you're in a big moment. You're at a pro tour event. You're on the lead card. What happened the third round? Was it, you know, camera jitters? Was it, you know, putting yips or whatever? Like what, what was going on through your mindset to where you feel as though you didn't shoot to how you could shoot? Yeah, it, it's hard to say, um, you know, because I mean, I've been filmed several times before, so I don't really think it was that. I mean, obviously, the, the second round I was filmed by Gatekeeper and those live, those live uh, DGPT guy filming for that round, too. And uh, obviously, this is probably the the biggest card I'd played on as far as the, the level of, you know, skill. You know, um, I think I was playing with all like 1050 guys. Um, so that might have contributed a little bit. But I, again, like I've, I've played with all those guys before. In, in all the rounds and I, the second round I played with Ricky and James and those are obviously really really good players and um, so I'm not I'm not 100% sure obviously in my mind I could definitely feel that my game was different um, like I, I kind of forgot how to step up my timing was just completely off um, mm -hmm. it just felt it just felt kind of weird so not 100% sure what it is you know everything is kind of just practice and, and hopefully I can learn from you know what happened and uh, hopefully just put myself in more positions like that so I can hopefully um, do well and just keep improving yeah, for yeah, sure. absolutely. I think I think Go that's ahead. the best mindset you can have is just looking forward to the next event and looking forward to the next time that you will be in that position and not mm -hmm. thinking back on, you know, oh, my gosh, is this actually going to happen again? Yeah. Yeah. So what I was just going to say there, because I wanted to actually put a little positive spin on it here for you, because I know that you're feeling a little down on how some of that went. But let me just play it out for you. You talked a little bit about your feelings, but round two, you were still only two strokes off the leader. So you didn't really lose anything. You shot a 16 down 1100 rated round. That's obviously nothing to laugh at. Uh, round three that just got brought up and we were even talking about maybe what you would feel is the negatives to that side of it. Um, you would have still been on the lead card had it not been for your high PDGA number. So you had still shot well enough to be on the lead card. Um, yeah. And again, getting bumped because of that. And that's a PDGA thing that how they handle the ties. Well, for the for the third round, he got bumped because of hot rounds. A player yep. who said he ended with the same score as Ezra after round three. Whoever shoots the hotter round is the one who makes it onto the higher card. So PDGA number only matters after the first round. Or excuse me, for yes, excuse me, after the first round going into the second round. Mm -hmm. Interesting. I just learned something new. And uh, thank you yep. for sharing that. Uh, let's see no here. Problem. So, but then for final fourth round here, you tied for second place, shooting eleven down, a thousand seventy-five rated round. You did not perform poorly. You obviously have high expectations. You want to win, but again, congratulations yeah. on that second place finish. Um, Thanks. Yeah. So, what should we expect? You you'd want to win everything from here on out. I mean, I don't want to put a negative spin on this, but here we go. Was this a fluke? Yeah. Was this a fluke? Um, are we going to see more of you on lead cards in the top 10 easily? Or like, what's your standard that you're saying? I'll be concerned if I'm not. And you fill in the blanks. <laughs> yeah, I, I expect to be. Um, you know, I think like last season, top 20 was kind of where I sat. Most of my tournaments, I feel like I was kind of top 20. Um, this season, I feel like if I'm, if I'm outside of top 10, I'll probably be pretty disappointed. I definitely expect to be on lead called a lot more. Um, I think as far as this tournament goes, I feel like the, the biggest fluke thing that happened for my round, well, for my tournament was that third round. It felt like that was more of a fluke than, than the other two rounds, um, than the other three rounds. Sorry. So, um, yeah, I, I, I expect to be close to the top. Um, and obviously I want to win. So that's, that's kind of the goal. 
I cool. love it. One I big love thing it. that happened. One big thing that happened recently is you now became sponsored by one of the hottest companies out there. Um, you guys came out with an early release of your tour series disc, the Nuke, and then today, I think at one p.m. Eastern, they actually came out with another series of your tour series disc. Did that sell yes. out for you? Yeah, that sold out in like I think like seven minutes. That's awesome. So that, that was just totally like a here. pre-release because like, they're actually going to be those. They have those discs going to retails as well in like yep. a week or so. Yep. But this was just kind of like a pre-release thing just on the factory store website. But yeah, those sold out super quick. Cool. Super How has it been? It's awesome. I think I saw today on YouTube. Maybe it was recently, but you just came out with kind of the building the bag. You came out with your mid-range section of it. Yeah. Besides for the videos and taking it and you know people watching it there, like can you kind of explain quickly on how how it came to be? I'm a sponsored Discraft player now and actually building your bag around all sponsored, uh, excuse me, Discraft discs. Yeah. Um, it, it hasn't been too difficult. You know, obviously last season, I basically threw half Discraft by the end of the season anyway. So I'd been familiar with a lot of the molds and a lot of the molds that I, that I bag now, I kind of threw already. So it hasn't been super difficult in that, in that sense. Um, when I went to the factory, uh, like right when I got sponsored and right for the announcement, I was able to kind of just pick out a bunch of discs and throw them in a box and they shipped them to me. So I was able to try a bunch of stuff out and kind of hone in on what I wanted for my bag. Um, and then the building the bag series is just kind of showing what that process has been like and kind of letting people in on, on that side of it. Mm -hmm. So I think we've touched on a lot here, but I kind of want to hear your response to this. And I think others might appreciate it as well. You placed higher in this tournament, first elite series of the year um, placed higher than Macbeth, Wysocki, Sexton, Heimberg, Gurthy, Uliberry, Conrad, Jones, a whole bunch of other notable names. Um, what does that mean to you to hear those names and to know that you actually outperformed them this last week? And that, that's got to mean something. It's yeah, it's, it's, it's honestly pretty crazy. Cause you know, I've, I've been a fan of disc golf for basically since I started playing like six years ago. And I've seen these guys on coverage so much. And so to be able to play with them and, and then actually be able to beat them uh, is it's, it's insane. You know, it's, it's kind of a dream come true. Obviously it's not all the way there until I actually win and, and beat everybody in the field, but um, it's definitely, it definitely feels good to, to, you know, kind of take down some of the biggest names in disc golf. For sure. All right. Well, the dog barking in the background, Nick, <laughs> if that's your place. Sorry about that. I'm yeah. Oh, okay. I was blaming yeah. it on Nick. I was blaming it on Nick. Yeah, so. I was going to say, I, I was going to take the blame, but nope, it's not me. There's a dog poke right here. It's not a really good spot to be. That's okay. It's there perfect. I've been down there before. Um, so yeah. you're going to be playing at the Memorial. It's, it's what it looks like, right? That's what you're going to do. And um, yep. Yep. is this more or less, how do you, how are you treating this event before we let you go? How are you treating this event? It's not an elite series, but like you must have a certain feeling about it. Um, I'm, I'm trying to treat it like, like it is an elite series. Um, I want to still give it my all and, and do my best. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm going to, you know, do my best to practice like, like it is and, uh, and put in the time. And, um, I'm, I've got, I got a couple of rounds here at Vista and then, you know, the next two days I'll, I'll go to fountain and hopefully get those, that, that call styled in. Um, and I'm, I'm going to try to hopefully kind of trick my mind into thinking that it's a big tournament that it is and hopefully perform as if it is. I think awesome. that could, yeah, I think that could work. Um, I'm not a pro disc golfer. I just talk about it. <laughs> so we'll watch and see. Uh, I'll be watching. Um, we're excited about that. It's, it's funny because it's not an elite series. It's not to be forgotten about. It's still a very large event. And we're seeing names like, and Nick, can you confirm, is, is Paul planning to play? I see him on the registration. 
he is planning to play. I think he is about 60 feet away from me in the house right now, and he is itching to get back out there and compete just after what happened with last week. <laughs> he doesn't want to be so. beat by Ezra Aderhald ever again. <laughs> so um, anything. Don't take it personal. Yeah, no. Any any <laughs> other shout outs or anything that um, you were hoping we would ask or things that you think people should know? This is an awesome opportunity right now. I say awesome. We think it's awesome. An opportunity for you to share um, with the world um, anything that you'd like. We're going to give you that platform if you want to. Anything you cool. want. Yeah, I think you guys asked awesome questions. It's been a, a cool podcast. So thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me on, first of all. Um, thanks to Dishcraft for, for picking me up. Obviously, the discs walk well, you know. Uh, I didn't ever play second with an open bag, and, you know, obviously I did with Dishcraft. So I definitely like the plastic. So huge shout out to Dishcraft and uh, OTB as well. What's my camera? There we go. Uh, for sponsoring me. Uh, yeah, it means a lot. And then obviously thanks to everybody pulling for me in tournaments and, and hoping that I play well. It, it, it's really cool to see the support on social media, and uh, I really appreciate it. So, yeah, thanks to everybody. Cool. Really quick, what's your Instagram handle, and then where can people find you on YouTube? Yeah, Instagram handle is Ezra underscore Edelhold, and then on YouTube is just my name, Ezra Edelhold uh, DG. So. Can you tell us cool. the the, ha nice. the hacking that happened and you lost all your followers? Have oh, you you've yeah. you've already recovered and you probably have yeah. more followers now? Is that is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's actually almost doubled since then. So awesome. Yeah, it was it Good. was so cool to see a lot of other pros kind of you know repost my post saying that i got hacked and you know talking about the new the new account and so that really helped get it back to where i was super quickly so we had yeah, to use pretty cool. much all of our efforts in our channels and our connections to try to get a hold of you because we knew following an event you were going to be bombarded by friend requests been, and messages yeah it's been crazy yeah <laughs> i was gonna say you'll you'll see my message in your instagram dms you can go ahead and delete it now or save it for the next time that we need you on the podcast okay. <laughs> i asked for his phone cool. number i said is this the best way and I asked for his, so now we have a direct connection if we need to do it again that's absolutely. okay if we reach out to you ezra in the future absolutely yeah i'd love to be back on awesome cool thank you very much ezra i'm down here in arizona as well so i'll probably see you out in the course practicing this week we'll be able to officially meet in person and yeah. uh, i look forward to watching you play again awesome thanks again, all right guys. peace out man take it easy bud. peace yeah. all right so nick obviously that was really cool like that was that was a really good interview. <clears throat> so yeah, uh, that's definitely the first time that I've actually had a conversation actually with Ezra. So it was cool to kind of get to know a little bit who he is and everything like that. So I enjoyed it. Yeah, I I had to ask the question, and it's interesting role that I'm put in here. Obviously, as a talk show host, I'm like, was that a fluke? Like I just had to ask it because yeah, I feel like you see players who will stand out early on or once in a while, uh, I'm not going to drop a whole bunch of other names right now. <laughs> I don't need to be that hot of a take and they never show up again. Um, yeah, obviously he did something to set himself up for the season start and he did it. So let's move right into the next topic here. That was great. Um, LVC performance breakdown. Yeah, go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, I was going to say, I want to say one thing that Ezra said at the end, I don't know if a lot of people caught this, but, we talked about all the players that he beat this weekend and he said, yeah, it's great. You know, I've been following along these players for a long time and everything like that, but he didn't win the tournament. So in a sense, he's not counting it as a win over Paul Macbeth, a win over Ricky Wysocki. I think, you know, he'll say he beat them when he goes on and wins the tournament as well. And I think that was really cool. I've always thought that to where I don't think I'm really better than someone else at the sport until I consistently can beat them in a tournament or do it more than once um, with actually winning the tournament. Cause anyone can have a bad weekend 
and you can beat them like that. But until you actually go and win the tournament for you having a great weekend, I think that's more so when it really counts. Yeah, for sure. I um, tried to use the wording that he outperformed and mm. just because I he, he didn't win and I didn't want to put it on him and have him try to react and say, you know, no, I didn't win. Like I didn't need him to talk down yep. about himself, but he definitely outperformed them at this event. So let's Absolutely. let's move on. LVC player performance breakdown. OK, so this is something that we've done before. We're going to continue to do this. We're going to kind of hit the the, uh, the quick hitting facts here of how it played out. Let's start with MPO. We are not a specific male only or female. In fact, we talk about both. So let's just yeah. start here with MPO top four finishers. If you didn't know, spoilers are coming at you right now, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Eagle, winner. Ezra, second. Mm -hmm. Calvin, third. Garrett Gurthy, fourth. And besides talking about Garrett's um, push here again to top, you know, try to make podium at least. Um, he was yep. beat out by Sexton last year. I think it's impressive to see him make top four. I think it is. Uh, how do you feel about that? Yeah, well, I was just about to say, the four players that you just listed right there, two of which are former MPO players that have won the tournament, and then two of which now are runner-ups at the event. Garrett being a runner-up at the event, and now Ezra being a runner-up. Um, so I think you have incredible competition who's making that top four. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, I think Garrett Gurthy is one of the best backhand distance drivers in the planet he has in you know great form it's unorthodox but he knows how to control the disc he knows how to throw it far um if garrett's putting was to be at the level of maybe ezra or calvin or eagle garrett would be one of the easily one of the top three players in the world just because of his backhand driving form um so for ezra to be in conversation with those guys i think is pretty incredible but you know i think that's a solid top four yeah, for sure. Um, and then if we were to ask the question, and this is a kind of a speculatory question, if you will, but who's missing from that list of the should have been in the top four? Had we picked it, we did our show mm -hmm. last week. I would have definitely put Macbeth in the top four, and I would have put Wy yeah. I would have put Wysocki in the top four. Um, but yeah, they obviously we're not there. Um, let's talk about a little bit yep. MPO rating averages. Um, a thousand seventy-seven was the average to win. That's forty-eight under par um just to put out that's obviously very impressive um that is 73 points rating and it looks like 36 uh strokes better than last cash so average to last cash um mm -hmm. was a thousand and four rating of a thousand and four that's 12 under par and that was nate perkins now you outperformed mm -hmm. Nate Perkins. What did you shoot under par? Do you remember? Uh, 14 under par. I was 15 under par going into the last round. And then I actually, I shot one over par the final day. So yeah, 14 under par. I think I beat Nate by two. I think if I'm not mistaken, I think he finished 12 under par. I think there were three or four players who did finish 11 under par or worse. And they actually, they made the cut. They played the final day, but they didn't get paid. So I think... In my head, going into that final round, um, the way I'd been playing all week and the way my biggest confidence booster was my putting, um, I think going into that final round, I knew that I wasn't going to blow up if I was making putts. Um, the only thing that was going to kill me is being too aggressive on shots where I shouldn't have been aggressive, and that is actually exactly what happened. Uh, fortunately, though, I was able to salvage some great birdies with some solid putting, some solid drives when I needed them to be. And, uh, yeah, I ended up taking the last cast, which was, I think, about $400. 
Um, there was a bunch of us who ended up getting 400 bucks, I think, from a couple <laughs> players shooting 15 down to 12 down. That helps with the flight out there. So let's let's kind of ask this question. We talked about Macbeth, and I said, you know, I would have picked him to be in the top four. Um, I think the feeling going away from this tournament round was kind of that Paul underperformed. That's kind of how I felt. Um, I started looking at the stats a little bit, and obviously it feels like he's underperforming when he's not winning, number one, when he's not mm-hmm. when he's not finishing in a lead card position that feels that way. But let's look at what's Paul's rating right now. What is it, 1,053? 53. Okay. Yep, 1,053. And if you averaged out his full tournament round rating – it was a thousand. I think it was about ten forty-eight, right? Forty-nine and a half, yeah. So right, forty-nine and a half, almost yeah. a thousand. Yeah, I'm being really specific. Almost a thousand and fifty. Um, I guess you could say he underperformed as a whole, but a thousand fifty is that really underperforming for Paul? That's his average, just about his average. How? And you don't need to give me full scoop. You know, you've hung out with him driving around. Does, yeah. that, does he feel like he underperformed? And you can't really answer. But what's your perspective on that? No, yeah, I would definitely 100% say that he feels like he underperformed. Uh, his putting, he said the last few rounds just did not feel great, which was kind of weird because during the All-Star event, you could kind of see his putting was really good. And I spent some time with him this offseason. I've noticed that his putt has obviously gotten a lot more confident um, in his putting stroke and everything like that. But this tournament itself, um, he says, he'll, he'll say it, uh, that he does not feel he was up to par with his putting, which is unfortunate because at mm-hmm. that tournament, when it's windy, you know, one bad putt can sail you the opposite direction 30 feet. Or, you know, one bad putt that was low rolls another 40 feet back down the hill because of the way some of the baskets are. So I think that's one huge thing where an underperformance would come. And I think what I said to Eagle earlier is that when you're a player who's trying to fight back for that lead and you're trying to make that final push on Sunday, when you have gusts up to 20, 25 miles per hour, the discs are going to be a little bit more uncontrollable. And if you're a little less confident in how your throw is going, you're a little less confident in the disc maybe, um, there's going to be opportunities where you take stupid OB strokes because you had a 400-foot shot and a massive headwind, and unfortunately you just turned it over too much, and there it goes OB. Just to bring up that point on wind, the difference in scores and ratings even there is that <laughs> between the two rounds on Innova course, one was not windy, uh, the first time round on it. Yeah. And then second time round, final round, it was windy. Um, it averages about 40 rating points difference between those two rounds, which um, is about five strokes worse for everybody. So, Nick, you might have felt yeah. like you played a horrible round, but the reality is, according well, to everybody else, you actually played very similar um, comparison. Yeah. I, to be honest, I was actually kind of surprised with how low the rating was. I know I had shot over par. Uh, my goal was to kind of going down the stretch, I was trying to get a couple more birdies. And, you know, at some point I had to say, look, I just want to remain even par. At that moment, I felt like even par was actually going to be a thousand rated round. I was a little surprised that it was in the nine eighties, but at the same time on day two, when there was no wind, I had shot six down. So, you know, I I played worse by seven strokes and in a sense, that's inexcusable. Um, I definitely made some stupid mistakes trying to be a little bit too aggressive but I think for a lot of players, yeah, it, it was a struggle in the wind. There were times a majority of that course felt like it played in a headwind. Holes where it was a tailwind, I played a lot better. And that, that was all weekend, whether it was day one, day four, two or three. Anytime it was a tailwind, I felt way more in control than when it was just something, especially on an upshot where 
it might only be 380 feet. But to be honest, if I'm trying to do a nice controlled flick, that's about as far as I can throw it unless I really push it. Um, and same thing with the backhand when you're trying to throw fairway drivers or distance drivers. Um, that straight up headwind just makes it that much harder of a time. For sure. So um, let's talk about this. Moving on from ratings as far as the MPO is concerned. MPO players who impressed or surprised us. You were there. My takeaway, though, honestly, Ezra surprised me pretty significantly. We already talked to him. Yeah. So we can kind of move on to the next player that surprised me and see see what you think about this is Brian Earhart. Um, that guy, yes. it was just so exciting. He is someone I will root for just because of, I want to say, his character on and off the course. The yeah. guy is legit. Great podcast. Go over there and check it out. Um, mm -hmm. Did he surprise you too? I mean, that felt like a surprise. Yeah, absolutely. Um, last year, there was actually maybe an event or two where Brian and I, and I think two years ago as well, Brian and I had played a couple rounds together. And Brian's a better player than I am. And I know that right now he is definitely a better player than I am. So to see him miss USCGC qualifying spots all of 2020, he didn't qualify for USCGC. And I don't know if he tried. I don't even think he tried doing the Monday qualifiers. And then to have to come back and shoot top 10 at the first pro tour of the year and to earn a qualifying spot right off the bat. I think that's got to be a huge confidence boost. Um, I know that he said he had lost some weight this off season. He really put the time and effort into going out to the field, really honing in his skills. And um, I think it's all paying off. We were actually, I was really pushing to get him on the show tonight. He unfortunately was busy, but he is someone who we've had on the show in the past. It was an incredible episode. He's an incredible guy to talk to. And also this story of not making you a CGC all 2020 to doing it right off the bat. How much of a stress relief is that? No, I think that's incredible. <laughs> For sure. He talked about that um, as being really difficult. The fact that he wasn't able to qualify last year, you can go check out that show. Yeah. We had him on. Um, so that was a surprise. I'm going to throw another name out here. I think I saw him in the chat earlier. It's possible he's still here. Uh, Brody Smith. That stands out to me as a surprise. Mm -hmm. um, I just feel like, I had to almost go check my hot takes that I had made at the end of last year. I said, Brody will never, yeah. and I said, he'll never place. And I think I said, I had to go back and find it. It wasn't that hot of a take. I said, he won't ever place top three at a pro tour event. And that, I mean, that's a, mm -hmm. that's a take, but I was like, did I say top 20? Because he was right. He was there <laughs> first round. Um, yeah. he was what 17th, 14th. He was, he was in think, there for I a think while. 16th. Yeah. Yeah. I think 16th place for the first two rounds. He was right around. He was definitely in the top 20 for sure. Um, it's funny. I was doing a couple of practice rounds with Brody and I did ask him, I said, what are your goals for this weekend? What do you got? You know, what's your mindset kind of for the year, but especially this weekend. And he had said that he wanted to place top 20 at the Las Vegas challenge. And I thought that was pretty inspiring in the sense of I do know how much work Brody is putting into his game. I know how much he's actually trying to hone his skills in. And one of his most incredible attributes right now in disc golf is his putting. Um, unfortunately, this weekend without Wendy, it was, I think he, he even said it, I think, in a Twitter post where his putting, which is normally a strong suit, was definitely not this weekend. Um, but I do think that if he had a better putting weekend, he easily would have been in that top 20, potentially even top 15. Yeah, I I was surprised and impressed and proud of Brody. <laughs> I think mm -hmm. I forget what his average yeah. is. I looked it up. He's definitely 
definitely hitting a thousand rating. I feel like I, I say that so confidently at the next update. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Unless for some odd reason, you know, Memorial is rough, which I definitely know that it's not going to be for him. Um, yeah. He'll be, he'll be cresting over that thousand rated mark going into, you know, I think in two weeks when we get the ratings update. Um, but I'll tell you this, Brody smashes discs. You know, he throws actually incredibly far for playing the sport for, I think he said like 420 days or something like that. Um, so be on the lookout for big things from Brody. Yeah. And then finally to wrap that conversation out of surprised and impressed, um, I want to say James Conrad, that guy threw us all off at the all-star event. If you didn't watch the all-star event, obviously he's throwing his new MVP discs and they just didn't seem to be flying with, for him with confidence. That wasn't, you know, and mm -hmm. you can't blame him. Obviously that's a difficult thing to do. But then he came out here and uh, he plays, I, I, I want to say it's top 10. I'm forgetting now. I have him down in my list, but I forgot to write his place. I think man. 11th place. Okay. I'm 90% sure that it was 11th place. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Especially again with his new yeah. bag and the way he had started. That was a good finish. Um, hey, real quick. I know our audio listeners don't care about this, but we had Hannah Macbeth in the chat and she just mentioned how cool these shirts were. Uh, I'm just going to put it up. Appreciate that, Hannah. The Nick and Matt shirts, they're over available on the Foundation um, Foundation Disc Golf, uh, not podcast, Foundation Disc Golf website. They are for sale right now. A portion of the sales does go directly to support Nick and Matt show. So definitely go check those out. Um, let's let's move on here. Let's kind of oh, pick this mind. up a little bit here. Who are the MPO, MPO players you and I might have forgot were at this event? I'm just going to list them off. We don't really need to talk about it unless one really stands out to us. But players mm -hmm. we might have forgotten were at this event, and here we go. Because we didn't hear anything about them. Hamas, yeah. 14th place. Yep. Thomas Gilbert, 15th place. Jeremy Colling, 16th place. Nate Sexton, 17th place. Philo, 19th place. Eric Oakley, 21st. Scott Withers, the, yeah. what, the top five rated player in the world, <laughs> whatever he is. Yeah, he's 10, 1040 rated. Yeah, yeah, 29th place. Uh, Anthony Barella, 34th place. Castro, Jordan Castro, 34th. Kyle Klein, 43rd. Nate Perkins, 53rd. Austin Hannum, 56th. Greg Barsby, 64. And to round this out, somebody I didn't even hear once or think about, and that's I'm a disc golf fan. It just never came up. Emerson Keith. Yep. 64th place does anything stand out yeah, to you I, there I, or is that just kind of like hey the way the media flows now unless you're not unless you're shooting hot rounds or you're in the top 10 yeah. you're not going to be in the media well i think because you know i've i've developed a relationship a friendship with a lot of these players uh i actually was able to play with emerson keith the first round and then i was able to play with austin hannum the third round and um but yeah Due to their performances, especially with Emerson and Greg Barsby not making the cut, I think that kind of shot them out. But I think one thing to remember is this is the first event of the year. Um, I think players are kind of shaking off that initial rust, getting back into the swing of things. They might not have had the offseason that they wanted. Um, I wouldn't say don't count them out for the whole year. I know Austin is actually still in the process, I would assume, of learning the new bag. He became a Prodigy Sponsor player this year. And, you know, I think they are players that will shoot back up to where they, you know, kind of played last year. But, uh, yeah, there were some noticeable names. And I think that's from what if you look back in years past, I mean, Vegas, it's a long course. Uh, a lot of the par threes are hard to get in the sense of there's a lot of OB around them. Um, so players who aren't 
big distance throwers are definitely at a disadvantage. So I think that's one thing, definitely. Yeah, and I think it's fair. And uh, Hannah McBeth in the chat saying she would argue the Sexton one, and I agree. I think she's right there. As far as his play, you kind of forgot about him. As far as coming into the event, you knew he was the returning champion trying to defend his title. So you did know he was there. It wasn't a total, hey, I didn't remember yeah. he was there. But uh, let's yeah. let's uh, move on to FPO. Top four finishers. We Again, spoilers, everybody. Shut it off if this bothers you. But we are post, yeah. we're post-event now. Paige Pierce taking it down one stroke over Katrina Allen. And watching that play out was super cool. Um, that was the first time on camera interview that I had heard Paige say that she was actually had nerves that affected her upshot to make it as close as it was. She threw OB on her last shot, had to hit the putt, yeah. or else more or less it was going to go to a playoff. Uh, it didn't go to the playoff, of course, but that, that was interesting. So Paige, Katrina second, Jessica Weiss, she performs well out here. I was out there filming last yeah. year, and uh, she she performs well out there. Uh, third place for mm -hmm. her, good job. And then Own. Uh, you see her come out to this event. You don't see her on tour everywhere, um, but good performance for her top four. FPO rating yeah. averages. This is interesting. Paige Pierce averaging 993. Um, it would have been higher except for round, what was it, two? Yes, round two. Yeah. So, I mean, 993, that's above her average. Um, and then yep. finally, last cash averaging for FPO. Um, and this beats a lot of men out there. <laughs> 918 average. A 918 average to get last cash. And that is new... To the tour, Cynthia Ricciotti, or however you might say that last name. I think I think Ricciotti. Ricciotti. Good. Yeah, Thank you for correcting so. me on that one. So good good job to her making last cash. Honestly, Nick, what do you think about that? Making last cash at her first event. So, I mean, I think that's incredible. I think she had announced at some point last year that she was planning on doing a full-on tour. And hopefully, you know, with everything going on in the world right now, hopefully that will be a possibility. Um, I think that's great going out and cashing at your first pro tour event. Believe me, I know the struggle of going out to events and not cashing, especially out in the road. And it's a stressful game. So for her to go out and do that and get that kind of cash right off the bat, I think you're going to see bigger things to come from her as well. Cool. And then um, kind of similar to what we did with the MPO is names you might have forgotten or um, didn't remember. And this is kind of an interesting mm -hmm. one. I think I would say that I knew she was here. But man, it was just no media really surrounding it. Haley King, um, mm -hmm. she kind of had a bad start. And without having her on the show to ask her the question on that, you have to kind of feel like that's related to nerves or a feeling of this is the start of the season. I closed it out last year. Like, did you have mm -hmm. any conversations? Um, not in COVID world, you don't rub shoulders, but like anything stand out to you about that? She averaged 950, which is 12 below her rating. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I actually, I haven't really talked to her about the event too much. We did casually talk here and there when we were passing by, but um, going from, I think she had said some interview that she had done where she didn't play a lot of disc golf this off season. She focused on her body. She, I think she did a lot of putting and stuff like that, but she didn't really go out and play a lot of rounds of disc golf. And I think that's going to be kind of a crippling factor going into these first events where you had the all-star event. She did not perform how, you know, we thought she would perform. And then you have Vegas to where at one point she was 31st place and she made a huge jump the last round or two, maybe round and a half to get up into fifth place and make an incredible finish from how she started. 
So her drive was there to get back. I think she had shot five or six down the final round, which was great, obviously. Um, but I do think a lot of these players right now who haven't been playing a lot of disc golf this offseason, you're going to notice some rust throughout these first few events. And I think by the time we get to April and May, you're going to start seeing people, players in their true form. But right now, yeah, I think that would kind of hinder her at the moment. And then, yeah, I agree. And then the other thing that stands out was Kona's 948 average rating. And I bring up average rating. I don't care about ratings as far as player mm-hmm. ratings go, but it is an average to how they perform. A 948 average rating at this event was 22 better than her player rating, which means that she outperformed how she average averages in disc golf. So congrats yeah. to her. It's funny. Yeah, it's funny when you actually sent me that in the show notes earlier. Um, I had expected her rating actually to be a little bit higher. And Kona is someone out on the FPO tour. She works very hard. She is figuring out styles of her putt. She's figuring out her backhand form. Her forehand is actually looking great, especially on upshots. Kona is putting in the dedication and the work. And I know she probably feels a little bit disappointed with potentially how she played this week. But to average, I think what you just said was 22 points above her rating. That's a win in and of itself. And I think we're going to see that increase um, because she is someone who did put a lot of work in this offseason. Yeah. And uh, And she she won the all star. (laughs) I know. I know. Um, congrats to Kona. We'll have her on again at some point. So again, we don't always discuss with the chat boards, but Hannah's throwing out. Yeah. She says, I got you guys in the chat. And what she means by that is, uh, is relation to the Haley King conversation. She said that Haley had set her bag up with understable discs practicing when there was no wind. And so that threw her off, Mm. no pun intended, but that threw her off when the the round was really windy. (laughs) Um, and so obviously she changed it up changed up her game plan. And then obviously she did perform very well. She moved up, I think 30 something spots after round one. So good job to her. All right, Nick, we're jumping into a fairly big topic here, but it's really interesting. I've asked both players. I think I asked Ezra. I can't remember now the Paul Macbeth contract. All right. You Mm -hmm. are, for those who don't know, you are currently uh, residing in an RV or driving around or you're down in the Macbeth's residence. You're, you're rubbing shoulders Mm -hmm. with Paul Macbeth. Um, so you, yeah. you heard this news. I have to believe you heard it before everybody else, but let's, let's, let's talk about it. $10 million for 10 years. And here's my hot take. I don't know. You've probably heard this. Is that contract big enough? That's what I want to talk about. Is that contract big enough? And, and Ooh, here's where that comes from. That's a hot take. Yeah. Here, here's where it yeah. comes from. I, uh, will Paul yeah. outperform his contract like he did the previous one, meaning He's going to start selling even more discs and the machines that they purchase to make the more discs that he was providing as, as you know, a marketing, is he going to do that again? And they're going to, like, we need more, more machines. Um, is he actually worth more? And then I guess we could just talk about it, like how, how good of a deal did Discraft get or, or, or am I way off here? Like, is that, it's big for the sport, but is well, that, is it big? Yeah. Is it big for Paul? It's definitely huge for the sport. And I think one of the biggest things that just happened was they released the video of him signing the contract and look at all the media outlets that ended up jumping onto the disc golf hype train right now, Barstool sports, the guardian TMZ. And I've seen nothing but positive feedback on comments, YouTube, everything like that to where, Hey, this is pretty incredible. Like we can't really look at disc golf as a joke anymore. And I think since the start of this pandemic, the growth that disc golf has experienced 
you're obviously looking at who are the top players in that sport. That was one of the first things that I did when I started playing was who can I follow? Who can I be like? How can I train and be like them? And so for Paul, I think as more players come into the sport, that's only going to be helpful for him in the sense of, you know, there are disc royalties, there are stuff like that. His popularity grows, which in, you know, in essence, that helps out Discraft as well, because now their popularity grows. And you have Discraft, which arguably in the last two years is easily the number one company out there. You know, they're selling the most discs. They, you know, they had to buy more machines to keep up with the, you know, influx of players that has just come about. So I think deal wise, um, at the moment, it's an incredible deal. It's obviously never been heard of in disc golf. It's way larger than the deal that was previously in place. Um, I think both parties, meaning Paul Macbeth and Discraft, I think they both made out perfect. Um, but I do think, in all honesty, I think the deal will be outgrown within the next three to four years, to be honest. There it is. Nick Nick Carl even agrees with that yeah. take. Wow. Yeah. So, but I, but I think it's an incredible deal. I do think that that is, you know, it, it's absolutely incredible. And I, I remember actually first hearing about it and just being mind blown. But like I said, I do think that it will be outgrown. And hopefully, and Eagle didn't disclose this, but I've heard talks and I'll just, I, I can't say directly to Eagle. I'm just going to talk about players in general. I've heard numbers thrown around about what players make. And I'm not far out to say that players are being offered $500,000 for, you know, a certain amount of time. I'm not going to say the time length on it, but like there's guaranteed cash money now flowing that we've never heard of before. Um, hopefully. And I, I, I would love to like put Eagle in a corner and make him answer this. Hopefully something like that happened to Paul here inspires Eagle to when he does renegotiate or inspires, inspires Ricky or um, Paige or Haley, all these players to feel like, and, and you want to say emboldened, some of them are going to feel hesitant to do this. And that's where Paul excels. Paul, mm -hmm. Paul, <laughs> Paul's kind of like, here's, here's what I'm worth and take it or leave it kind of a thing. You got to get to that place, I think. Yeah. And then the manufacturers are going to have to decide, is this player representing the brand in a big enough way where it's going to matter if they leave. And then some other manufacturer yeah. comes along that's willing to scoop them up, <laughs> discraft, <laughs> and they rule the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, Hey, we, we've said it in the past. I think that the transparency of this video and having Paul actually announce what he's making over the next 10 years, that before manufacturers had the ball in their court where they could dictate what they think a player is worth. And the player kind of just sits back and says, you know what, if that's what you're saying I'm worth, then I guess that's what I'm worth. Shoot. All right. Now that Paul put that out there, obviously Paul's a five-time world champion, multiple major winner, got a two-time US DGC title. Um, he's obviously worth an incredible amount, but I think players, as they start performing better at these events, now they actually have a little bit of wiggle room to where, Hey, we know what this guy is getting paid. I think I'm a fraction of the player that he is. So I think this is what I deserve. And I'm confident and I'm hopeful that players will actually start, you know, making more money and getting more money from their sponsorships being disc manufacturers because before disc manufacturers had all the power. And after this release, which I think is the best thing that's happened in disc golf recently, I think that definitely shook things up. So besides the fact that we like a lot of these touring players, like we we're inspired by what they do and we think, oh, they, they deserve or earned themselves, you know, they, they need the money. We want to see them get the money. 
Besides that, yeah. and this is a whole huge topic, but it's at least just worth throwing out there. Like, why? Like, what does it benefit for the sport when the players make the more money besides us being inspired and saying, you know, you worked hard to get that? I think in general, what it tells me is that the sport is growing so large that it creates more opportunities for, um, I want to say, not even players who are already established. Does it inspire people, Nick? And this is interesting thought. thought. Does it inspire other athletes in the world who are not disc golfers saying, I'm over here playing whatever sport it is. And yeah. let's just say like AAA baseball, right? They're not making $10 yeah. million dollars in 10 years. Um, does it inspire another athlete in a different sport to say, I've heard the news. I think I can get really yep. good at another sport. Let me give it a try. See what I can do. I, yep. I mean, is that going to happen? I, Probably. I think, yeah. I think a perfect example of that is actually Holland Hanley. She did play Vegas. I don't exactly remember what place she finished in. I think top 15. Um, but she was a former athlete in I think basketball and maybe a few other sports. Um, but then she found disc golf. And because of her natural athleticism, she was able to develop skills pretty quickly. And she beat Jennifer Allen and Katrina Allen at the Maricopa Open, which was a large B tier here in Arizona. Um, so I do think as players finally figure out what other players are making, especially in the FPO division, a lot of different athletes from other sports are going to say, hey, I can make that much money playing disc golf. Sign me up. They're going to start coming in. <laughs> Show me the money. And I never thought I would say that yeah. in disc golf. Now, Exactly. I think I think we're getting to that point, to be honest. Yeah, I remember. I think one of our first shows, I'll have to go back and find it, Nick, and, and I'll use it against you one day in the future. I said, hey, how many pros do you think are going to be making X amount of dollars full time on tour? And you're, I was like, 10. You're like, yeah, it's too many. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I think you got to kind of think, like, what is it making a comfortable living? Is it getting by and getting to the next tournament and being able to afford gas and food? Or is it putting money away in a savings account, a retirement, and everything like that? I think those are the two differences in what's happening. But I do think um, because of this announcement, I do think players are actually going to be able to start having a little leeway, especially I hope this motivates other players to get better um, yeah. and to be able to perform. That's the only way that they're going to be able to get more money is by performing better. So. As we kind of wrap up this topic about Paul McBeth's deal, we had to talk about it. I mean, it's it's the largest mm -hmm. news story in disc golf ever. I don't remember other times. I mean, obviously, you have, like, viral videos making it all around the world. Yeah. But as far as news breaks, that's significant. Um, yeah. But we talked about, you know, how much does this inspire other players? We talked about that a little bit. But is there any chance that this makes other players feel defeated? The idea of, man... Uh, I don't know. I'm going to throw out Ricky Wysocki. Um, I do not know what he's making. I, I can't act like I do. If I had to guess, if I had to guess, and this is pure speculation, I have no insider knowledge <laughs> here. Let's say he's making 125,000 a year, just straight out until they renegotiate contracts. Um, if, mm -hmm. if he has $125,000 a year, is he feeling slighted? Um, let me, let me bring it up. And the reason I asked this question is because I saw a social media post, and let me just kind of quote it here. Um, Such a shame. Professionals in our sport are selectively chosen to receive benefits all pros should have. He, meaning Ricky, absolutely deserves to have a great contract talked about also. Imagine Rory, Tiger, Nicholas, etc. on tour trying to sell golf balls to supplement income. 
um, there's a lot to take away from that that I think this social media poster got wrong. But is there the possibility that other players are feeling defeated and like they deserve this? And what's it going to take to uh, what's going to take for them to not feel that defeatedness? <laughs> I mean, I think it'd be kind of funny if there are players out there who think they deserve the same contract as Paul just got only in the sense of there's not a player out there competing in the NPA, uh, excuse me, the NPO division who has done the things that Paul has done five-time world champion, two-time United States disc golf champion, five-time European open champion, which is another major. Um, there are players who obviously have won majors like Chris Dickerson and there's players who have done incredible things in the sport, but their popularity doesn't match Paul's and their skill level and what the accolades I should say do not match Paul. And so I think players are feeling defeated in the sense of, yeah, they clearly have, I would say, potentially wasted a few years and kind of being that, you know, hey, I'm just getting by, I'm cashing at tournaments and I'm getting on to the next event. Um, it's, you really don't have that kind of like winning mentality out of a lot of these pros right now. And five years ago, had they had that, they might have been, you know, a 2017, 2018, 2019 world champion. But because they're not, they're not able to negotiate that kind of contract with the disc manufacturers at the moment. So, yeah, I would feel defeated as a player right now, just in the sense of. Do you feel look, defeated as a player, Nick? Do you, do you feel? Do I feel? No, heck no. How much are you making in disc golf? Four hundred dollars at the last event. That's pretty good. Four four hundred bucks at the last <laughs> event, and believe me, you know the way my last round went, and kind of that style of course isn't you know it's not my style in the sense of I don't throw far. I'll be the first to admit it. I have a noodle arm compared to a lot of people, and that was a huge crippling factor out there this weekend. Had I been able to throw another 75 feet to 80 feet consistently and accurately, I'd be able to put a lot more competitiveness at an event like that. That's a big reason why I'm actually really excited to go out to Waco. Um, I love playing in the woods. I'm excited. My putt feels more confident than ever. And, um, but yeah, so no, I don't personally feel defeated. I feel motivated. And, you know, obviously Paul's one of my best friends. I'm super happy for him. And it's an incredible thing to actually see him be the pioneer in our sport to have that happen. I I'm regretting the fact that I didn't put Eagle and uh, Ezra. Ezra's a little early to the game here, but put Eagle in a corner and say, when are you going to make a million dollar contract? But the, the it's a real question that obviously he's thought about. So when we get off air, yeah, if, oh God, yeah. if he's still, if he's still watching, he mentions that he does or um if we if you get on yeah. air yeah, send yeah. him a text and i mean if you get him on his phone and be like what are you Sounds making good. no don't really do that but it is a question obviously <laughs> these players are thinking about it okay mm -hmm. let's move on from that we're gonna take just a very short short topic here uh, we don't need to elaborate much on it but the all-star event the disc golf pro tour all-star event happened and it was i'm just gonna give you my take boring to me and I'm just going to even classify by saying to me, it was boring to me. I had a perspective for an all-star event to be more entertaining. Um, and maybe that's because the cameras, we're going to talk a little bit about that, the Disc Golf Network, how they actually produced it. Maybe the content was there, but they didn't show it. Um, but it was boring to me. I don't think I loved, I think Worst Disc is interesting, but not necessarily mm -hmm. to watch like the strategy is cool, but I don't know if the watching it was the best part to showcase, you know, how good players were. Um, I would love to see more field events. And I think they actually talked about that already for next year. I'm not poo pooing yeah. on the event. 
they are going to obviously make it better every year as a first year COVID the yeah. whole nine yards, but that's yeah. my take Not on it. Congratulations though. That yeah. being said to Paul and Kona first time ever winners. Uh, Nick, what's your feeling on it? Honestly, I think this is a great topic. Um, I got to get out of here in just a little bit, but um, I think the disc golf network and the disc golf pro tour had put together something that they thought was going to be an incredible event. I do think that there were parts of the event that were incredible. I think being able to get all-stars in their respective division and actually put them all in one place and play disc golf against each other is a great thing to watch. Uh, the coverage, I would say, and I think a lot of people would agree with me, was very lackluster. It wasn't very good. Um, There's a lot of struggling points with it. The way that the format was and the tee times that they had going on, I think that was part of the issue. There wasn't enough manpower or woman power to be out there and actually – film everything that was going on. Um, I think that the format itself had a cool idea to it, but I wasn't a huge fan of it. I did like watching Warshaw doubles in the sense of the players both had to have a good shot in order to get a birdie. Uh, but the other boring part was on some holes, players are both laying up exactly from like 50 feet. And that's, that's boring for me to watch. Yeah. I'm hoping next year that they have some field games going on and I'm hoping that there's a match play format to it because believe me, I love watching match play. I love playing match play. Um, I would love to see Eagle against Paul in a uh, match play event, Ricky against Kevin, you know, stuff like that. Exactly. All right. As we get ready to wrap up in the next couple of minutes here, we're just going to hit on this just as a point to make the disc golf network has added commentators. Um, in addition to their previously established, which was Nate Doss, Valerie Jenkins, Hannah McBeth, Terry Miller, Jamie Thomas. In addition to that, they're adding Ian Anderson, which uh, hate him or love him. He's, he seems like a good guy. Philo, Christine Jennings, Elaine King, Nate Sexton. That was a, I think that's a big ad. That stood out to me. Nate Sexton, yeah. the Disc Golf Network's yeah. uh, commentary team. And then Dana Vicic, um, a disc golfer for a long time, used to be sponsored by Vibram, now runs a lot of stuff for mm -hmm. Disc Mania. Um, so in, in short, people want to know probably right away, is it worth it? The Disc Golf Network worth it? Is the subscription worth it? And I'm just going to tell you, if your budget makes sense to spend $5 a month, if you're a PDGA member, then it's totally worth it. If your budget doesn't make sense, then you obviously don't make that choice, but you should, you should yeah. do it. <laughs> Agreed. hundred percent. The, uh, the filming going from the all-star break, uh, excuse me, oh. the all-star weekend to yeah. the Vegas was exponentially better. Um, it was incredible at how actually good I thought the coverage was. Um, commentators I thought were okay. You know, they did some annoying things that I think is annoying. They did some great things that I loved. Um, but coverage itself, I thought was incredible. And actually, it's funny because being at an event, normally after my round, I'd go back out and watch Paul or go watch one of my buddies. Now I can't really do that at the moment. So I was able to go up to the restaurant that's at the country club, eat my food and watch the Disc Golf Network on the TV. And I actually I had a blast doing it. I thought it was very fun and it was enjoyable. Choppy here and there when the uh, Wi-Fi service, the Internet out there got a little rough. But for the most part, it was really good coverage. Man, you're not wrong. That that point you made from All Stars, if people and people did do this, that was a mistake. If I can call it yeah. a mistake, if I can call it a mistake, it's too bad that the Disc Golf Network had their All Star event at the beginning of the year, which that's a whole nother topic. They're moving it towards. I mean, at the end of yeah. Long story short, it's moved to the end of the year for 2021. Yep. Great move because the problem was here. It, they were set up for failure. This is considered the first event of the year, if you will, and it's not the first event of the year, but they worked out all yeah. the rust and kinks, and then they came back strong. Honestly, 
touted by well-established, I'll just say it, Simon Lazat said it was really, really good. So um, big, big changes there. So Nick, our first show ever streaming on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel. Um, It'll be good to have you in a studio form at some point, and I miss having you actually in studio with me. Yeah, (laughs) give me two weeks. (laughs) Great. And maybe you can figure out the whole uh, login information thing so we can have you on an actual webcam. I'll, I'll get that set up. Unfortunately, with a little travel day going on today, I wasn't able to set up exactly how I wanted to. But I hope everyone is enjoying uh, the podcast, post audio, and people watching live at the moment. It's been a blast. Please go on to foundationdiscs.com. You can see my shirt right here. We finally have some merchandise. Go check it out. Um, it's a super comfortable shirt. I'm actually loving it right now. I'm about to go do some putting practice in it. So I'm excited. <laughs> and uh, hey, that's- I'm, I'm super thankful. I was going to say, I'm super thankful to actually have some merchandise with something that Matt and I were able to build from start. And now a year later, just about, we're streaming with the foundation platform. And I'm super excited for what the future holds with it. I was just going to say, hey, look, I'm on Nick's shirt. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And you can say the same when I wear it. We'll be the two people to wear that shirt. Actually, I saw one of our super fans, and I will just call him out. He said he already purchased the shirt. You know who that is? There's a few. Uh, I'm going to go, oh, Rocky McGuire, Ken Chapman. Ken Chapman, final answer, Ken Ken Chapman. Chapman. Yeah, you got it. All right, shout out. Thank you guys, everybody, for what you're doing. Again, we will continue to try and bring this show in the best format possible. We're constantly learning, trying to grow, trying to do things better. If you like it, please subscribe. Um, Otherwise, we'll catch you next time. Nick, peace out, man. Oh, wait, you got to say your thing. Tell someone you love them this week? Yeah. Yeah, I got you, I got you. Everybody, tell someone you love them this week. We'll catch you in the next one. Please like, subscribe, comment, all that fun stuff. Check us out on the Foundation Podcast Network on uh, all the podcast platforms and YouTube. Yeah, that was just a psych. You're awesome, Nick. Peace out. Yeah. The Nick and Matt Show, a disc golf podcast designed for you, the disc golfer. Find the Nick and Matt Show on your favorite podcast platforms or stream us live exclusively on the Foundation Podcast YouTube channel.